So the best way of describing it to me is if we think about sexual identity is who am I? Oh, what do I like? What do I enjoy? What is my maybe sexual orientation? Um, what Are there any kind of kinks or fantasies that I have? Are there any things that I like that I don't like that I know about? Um, uh, the kind of sexual well-being is more like how do I feel? How do I, f- how do I feel about my sexual self? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. You are listening to Don't Be Afraid to Talk podcast with James. If you are listening for the first time, you are welcome. Talking and listening is key for growth, and I hope our stories will bring us together and we can draw inspiration from each other. Conversation will include topics such as mental and physical health, trauma and its effect, suicidal thoughts, recovery, and well-being. We will continue to raise awareness and offer a different perspective a mindset or an idea that could inspire you to take charge of your well-being and to grow as a human being. Thank you for joining us today. Today I'm joined by Aoife. Aoife is a psychosexual and a relationship therapist who's based in Wicklow, Ireland. And today we're going to be discussing women's sexual health. If you are listening, have an open mind and we hope you can learn something from this episode. Aoife, how are you? (laughs) I'm good. I'm delighted to be here. It's so nice to be able to chat to you, James, about a topic that is so important. Mm, mm, Yeah, this is, yeah, very important. Yeah. And not spoken about enough in this country as well. No, no, it's not spoken about. Even for me, like speaking about it, like, yeah, it's like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) How did I get here? Um, (laughs) I know that. I know that Mm, question. (laughs) Yeah, so how did I get here? But yeah, it needs to be spoken about. And uh, Mm. yeah, that's what it is. Mm. Yeah, so can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. So, um, Uh, I'm a psychosexual and relationship therapist. I'm based in Wicklow, but actually I've been doing all my sessions online um, since COVID. And and I had to be previously as well, because I was living in the UK and I offered um, face-to-face and online sessions. Mm. Um, And so it wasn't really a big shift for me, luckily enough, when when COVID hit. Um, But it does really allow me to see people across the globe alongside in this this wonderful green country um, and it's um yeah it's a private practice means i i see individuals and couples and i talk about kind of sexual relationship issues that may be coming up for them that that are impeding in their well-being and their mental health um i'm also a trauma therapist uh, so i work a lot with a type of trauma therapy called emdr which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing so that's why we have an acronym for it because it's <laughs> so long um, um so yeah so i i see people uh, and help them through uh, traumatic experiences that they may may be having and and how to kind of alleviate that and and learn to to live a happier, healthier life. 
Mm, fantastic. Yeah, trauma. There's so much in that. Yeah. I know, and you've covered it a good bit. Mm. Oh, I just love it. I love talking everything in relation to trauma. It is so, just so big, mm. <laughs> you know, just so much under it. So, but yeah. So much, yeah. Great. And uh, before we get going on our topic today, we're going to play a quick game called One for One. And uh, I'll give you a word and you say the first word that comes to your mind. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> okay. You ready? Ready. Yeah. The first one is uh, chocolate. <laughs> hot. <laughs> it was the word that came to mind. <laughs> hot chocolate. I love hot chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, radio. A station, which is not very imaginative. That's the first word that came to mind. <laughs> Violet. You know, it's funny you say that because a violin came to mind. You said violet. I heard violin and then I just thought of a purple violin. <laughs> no, violet, like the color the violet. Color. <laughs> yeah. Nice color violin. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, cream. Tea. And the last one, <laughs> and the last one is glow. Uh, stars. Mm-hmm. brilliant that's it simple that's the, that's the hardest question i'm going to be asking you today <laughs> yes yes okay my first question is how is sex and mental health connected and uh what mm-hmm. role does the nervous system play now it's a big question so <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a big question it's a big question and i think um what would I say about, I mean, I think it's a big question because I think it's quite subjective in, in one aspect. So how, so sex and, and mental health, how our sex lives, our sexual selves, our sexual identity impact how we feel about ourselves in a psychological manner, how we feel like we relate in the world or to the world or connect with others. And that can be so vast, so individual and so kind of nuanced, I suppose. Um, And that is the crux of it all, really, with therapy. There's sometimes these big things that are kind of globally fitting for everybody. But actually, then we have these individual experiences and what it's like for the person. So often what I see is um, things like, so obviously this is a podcast, but some people will be watching as well, um, is these little bunny ears that I might do every so often is sexual dysfunctions that come up for people. So I use dysfunctions in, in, in inverted commas because I don't like the label of it. And I feel like that word is really powerful. Yeah, <laughs> the word itself. It's like, isn't mm. it? It's like we're either functioning or we're dysfunctioning. But I feel that people do sense that when they're struggling with a sexual issue, so I tend to use the word issue or a challenge or a difficulty instead, that when people are experiencing a sexual issue, that it can be really corrosive to their self-esteem mm. and it impacts anxiety and stress. Um, and so often I will hear people coming to me saying, oh, I'm struggling with something like I mean, we're talking about women's health, so it could be a, a vaginismus, which is a form of pelvic pain. And I feel like I'm not able to go dating or I can't connect with my partner and that's causing me distress. Or it could be something like erectile dysfunction, 
erectile issues um, and it might mean that this this person feels that they feel a lot of shame about their sexual selves and feels shame about struggling to 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 engage and have sexual experiences so by proxy that if impacts our mental health mm. so it might cause anxiety depression or stress um, and similarly, what often happens, I, I hear people coming into the room and they're struggling with things like OCD, or they might be struggling with um, uh, a mental, a, a diagnosed mental illness like uh, schizophrenia or bipolar, in which case their sexual selves may be all tied up in in the diagnosis mm. and and struggle with with managing that, managing their medication even and, and the impact that that might have so it is quite complex but equally it's so important to bring it back to the person and what it's like for them because nobody's nobody's the same mm. yeah it's so it's so individualized but when you're having the say issues you think it's only mm. you yeah yeah <laughs> and that probably why so yeah, and it's always like mm. you kind of think like, "Oh, no one else has the problem I have," type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what role does the nervous system play mm. in terms of uh, when you're not regulated? Hmm. Hmm. And I think that's a really good question. It's often when I'm bringing that big, the big T word in trauma. <laughs> Um, our nervous system is super triggered, right? So that sympathetic nervous system, the fight, flight, freeze. When we're in our sympathetic nervous system, things like dissociation may happen. Things like we might not be able to be in the moment. We not, may not be present with our partners, feeling like we're in our heads or we're escaping somewhere else, or maybe our body is reacting in a way that we feel is out of our control. And so often our, our, our nervous system is, is directly interacting when, when we're experiencing um, any form of uh, distress or overwhelm, very interconnected with it. And, and a big part of, of what I would work with with people is that grounding, that sense of centering themselves and getting themselves into that parasympathetic nervous system, mm. easing down on that stress and anxiety. Mm. Now, when you're not familiar with this, you just think there's something wrong with you. Oh, completely. It's like, why can't? Yeah. Or you start blaming yourself, yeah. probably, that often happens. You start blaming yourself, and then if your partner's not so understanding, it could be trouble. <laughs> yes, and I heard this beautiful quote recently by a trauma therapist whose name escapes me at the moment, um, uh, talking about PTSD and complex PTSD. Um, or CPTSD and um, one of the things he said is that that blame turns to shame very mm. quickly so we move away from that sense of ooh, like something happening externally to it's happening internally there's something wrong with me you know I'm mm. not normal and that's a really hard place to be mm. yeah once you get into shame it's very mm. <laughs> difficult to get out of <laughs> so yeah, yeah 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 great my next question is what's the easiest way to help people understand the sexual health mm. what women mm. understand the sexual health how i break it down is into maybe three parts so 
sexual identity, sexual well-being, and sexual health, um, which kind of comes under the umbrella of, of sexual health. I mean, they can all be kind of interconnected. So the best way of describing it to me is if we think about sexual identity is who am I? Oh, what do I like? What do I enjoy? What is my maybe sexual orientation? Um, what Are there any kind of kinks or fantasies that I have? Are there any things that I like that I don't like that I know about? Um, uh, the kind of sexual well-being is um, more like how do I feel? How do I, f- how do I feel about my sexual self? Um, how do I feel about that identity? Um, how do I look after myself in, in a, a kind of more psychological manner where I see sexual health, although it fits into those other two categories, is also things like actually going to get checkups and, and thinking about um, uh, things like STIs or um, perhaps uh, looking at those aspects such as sexual bunny ears here dysfunctions yeah (laughs) Um, so you know they they kind of looking after your 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 sexual health in a physical manner Mm. so that to me is sometimes a good way of going okay well I've got three maybe parts of me there may be more (laughs) I think Mm. people probably say they have more but that's a good kind of basis or a foundation for it now the identity that's something that for example for many people because sex is still kind of, there's still a lot of shame around sex. Yeah. So in terms of finding out your identity, so if you have this, grew up with this sense of shame when it comes to sex, do you find people struggle with that, of making that shift? Because it's not something that you, like it's not a conversation where you grew up talking about. So, and it's shamed by the culture. So do you find people struggle with finding out like things that they like themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I find that there's this kind of societal narrative that's almost been absorbed like osmosis, yeah. um, particularly as in this, this kind of uh, conversation that we're having tonight around women's sexual health is this kind of narrative around um who I'm supposed to be and yeah. the expectations that you have on yourself and how that's maybe come through some of the, the whether it's through Disney movies <laughs> or Cosmo magazine or or just like conversations that happen in the kitchen, you know, or in, in the sitting room or at a bar, like, you know, that that might be kind of shaming um, or unhelpful around how we, how liberated we can be in mm. uh, as women society and I, I, I don't think I think that comes across all genders but um I think particularly for for women and I'm sure we can get into more around that in terms of the pleasure gap that's there still or um the kind of discrepancy amongst how we how we speak about um women and and the kind of polarization of the Madonna and whore complex you know mm. there's a multitude of things that um I think it are very difficult for, for women to, 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 to relinquish some of the, the kind of shackles, I suppose, of, of shame. Even if you, if you look at like studies that's been done over the years, a lot of it's kind of always been based on the, the male anatomy. Mm-hmm. 
like mm-hmm. very few have done studies on the female anatomy. Yeah. And is that because this, like, going back to, like, how women will perceive, do you think that kind of plays a part in that? Yeah. Yeah. I th- that, like, when you talk about sex for women, it's always, it's always kind of, well, it's perceived as our women are just kind of giving birth. Completely. It's not that, that stereotype idea, like, it's still lingering around, unfortunately. And do you think things like that plays a part in the fact that there hasn't been man- many studies done on it? Yeah, I mean, it's even, I mean, it's it's really interesting because it's only been in the last kind of 20 years where research even on mice have been done, female mice have been done because uh, scientists believed that the menses, so like the menstrual cycle of, of the mice, would female mice would get in the way of the studies. And as a result, what we found is, is um, that cardiac issues um, and heart attacks are different for women. The symptoms are different for women than they are for men. And so we're so far behind in studying women generally, let alone if we bring in sexual health and sexual well-being, because because then we've got this kind yeah. of idea, well, we're just this vessel. Um, what's the, you know, there was always this kind of thing of, mm. well, there's no point to the female orgasm when actually we know it contracts the uterus and actually could bring sperm towards up, uh, up, up towards the uterus even. Um, and, and so there's this kind of historical part of which message, which is still there around it being us, us being um, mm. unimportant, or studying us is, is unimportant. Mm. I, 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 w- <laughs> I would have used a different yeah. word instead of unimportant, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like women are just like a, a portal for like, for birth. Yeah. And that's just uh, the way it is. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really shown in the work that I do in with with women who are it's experiencing pelvic pain during sex so people who kind of own vaginas uh, tend to feel that uh and this is obviously a generalization here but i think it's a historic and a true one is we're Mm. supposed to this is supposed to hurt at times this is supposed to be uncomfortable that's part of it and so Mm. Uh, it's really not until the last few decades, if not less, um, that people are going, no, actually, it's not okay to put up with painful sex. And you know, you, you should get treated and support around that. That's not part of the sexual experience. And it, sh- or it should not <laughs> yeah. be part of the sexual experience. Mm. Definitely. That obviously, influ- like that kind of thinking, obviously, still influences influences people in terms of the shame for women to kind of seek help. For example, mm-hmm. it's still like mm-hmm. oh, a taboo subject. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, okay, cool, great. Thank you. We move on to our next question. Is that's only question two? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what causes low sexual desire in women? Yeah, yeah, um, a multitude of things. 
I think partly, which is super important, and maybe some of these questions, even as I'm talking through them, will end up being answered, like, because I'll probably talk a lot and cover a lot because I have a tendency to waffle. Um, but um, one of the big things is is this expectation around women and 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 who they should be in, uh, mm. uh, in the bedroom or who they should be as in, as a sexual being. So mm. um, what's coming to light more and more is the impact of um, pressure, societal narratives, and the discourse around women being free to be themselves. And so mm. what the research has, has told us is that a lot of it, unfortunately, is the patriarchy. So low libido is, is kind of correlated to those societal expectations. And I mean, that's that's one part. And those are the kind of that's kind of more of the social constructivism, I suppose. But then we've also got the practical, pragmatic parts of it. So things like um, menopause, really simple ones. Mm. So the impact of testosterone level in women so, sometimes think, what, I have testosterone? Yes, most of us do have testosterone in our bodies. Um, and that it's um, an important part that of of it's important hormone um, that does impact our uh, desire uh, alongside estrogen. Then we also have to think of things like um, TSH. So our um, thyroid levels as well, underactive thyroid can impact libido alongside another hormone that's really, really neglected in, in the conversations is a hormone called prolactin, which is made in our pituitary gland. So, um, that could be a hormone if, if it's if a low level that isn't isn't kind of conducive to our sexual well-being. So often it's it's kind of discussed in breastfeeding or you know after birth, but it's it's something that that we can um, that we have the whole time in our body. But if it's impacted so stress, for example, that can also impact our prolactin levels, which in turn impacts our desire. Mm, I have heard about the after birth and breastfeeding also like can play a part in desire. Mm -hmm. Is that because, okay, these are terms I've never heard of. <laughs> is that because when you're breastfeeding, it's affecting... What, what's happening with the breastfeeding? Yeah. In terms of hormones. Well, in, in breastfeeding, uh, you release prolactin. Your prolactin levels can be impacted. Um, and so in turn, that would impact... The libido so it's it's okay it's so you know but I, I do also think that I mean there's a lot to be said um and I actually just uh kind of contributed towards an article recently around post-birth and the 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 impact of of giving birth and um uh stress on the body body image um, healing following birth, traumatic birth, which isn't spoken about enough either, mm. and how that psychologically impacts how we feel mm. sexually. Totally, yeah. And then you have the society pressure of how how you should be and how a woman should be and all that comes mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. Yeah, you can't really escape those, unfortunately. <laughs> Yes, yes. My next question is, why do women seem to battle more with sexual desire? And how can we start overcoming this? 
Can you repeat that for me, James? How do women seem to battle more with sexual desire as to okay. compare to men, for example? Okay. Okay. Is that because there's a lot more happening in the female body? <laughs> um, yes. So I think there's a lot more happening in the female body. I think it probably, I think there's kind of comes back again to what I was saying about those expectations and the shoulds. And I think there's a, there was a, um, <laughs> there was, there's quite a famous app that made a post recently. I shall keep them nameless. And they made a post recently <laughs> talking about the complexity of female orgasms. And I challenged them on that because I think this is part of the narrative that we keep having, which is there's something complicated about women. And actually, it's yes. not that we are more complicated necessarily than men. It's exactly what you said earlier. We haven't been given sp scope to be understood. Um, so, for example, um, there was only one study that was done on the clitoris. And that study, which had been quoted for years, <laughs> was, was done on a cow. Oh, so the, 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 yeah, so, so there was this quote that was going around and I'm, maybe people had heard, have heard it who've listened to this, which is there's 8,000 nerve endings in a clitoris. Well, actually that clitoris that was studied was a bovine, which is a, a type of cow bull, I think. I've actually heard of that expression. <laughs> you have, right? Yeah. A bull, but a cow, yeah. Um, but anyway, the, 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 yeah, so this is a, you know, an, a, 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 big bit of misinformation that was going around and it was only about uh i think it was october where a study was officially done where they have found about ten thousand nerve endings in the clitoris so it was actually done on a real clitoris owned by a human and i think that's what is so important is yet again they just this kind of ostracization and almost othering of women and they're too much they're too complex and so we won't give them space um, and then we we neglect to be able to understand women holistically so i i think it's kind of this sense that's that that is is misconstrued that women are complex when actually we haven't been listened to and heard enough mm. yeah i was listening to a, a doctor who talks about this kind of stuff and she was saying when she was studying the anatomy, a lot of it was just male focused. Mm. She wanted to study the female, but I was like, yeah, we don't do that here. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. We are yeah. so far behind and it's not isolated to, you know, to sexual health. Mm, mm. And that kind of generalization plays a big part, especially for like, for men, for example, you just think, oh, no, that's too, like, it's too much information for me to gather. <laughs> yeah, too much information. I'll just give up and I'll just do my way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is this is what I know, so I'm sticking yeah, with that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So how can we start kind of breaking that stigma? Is it just kind of conversations and what well, education is a big part? huge part yeah. I, yeah and i don't think the sex education we get to, in school is <laughs> that great to be honest 
absolutely not and it's it's very like it's very biology based as well um it's it's very practical based um I think when I so I have done a good bit of lecturing in DCU and they're like one of the classes I have been teaching is is the third year um, health and social care students and it's interesting for me as somebody who's obviously older um just a few just a few years um but you know these these <laughs> kind of 20 21 year olds are still just depleted in sex education the very fundamentals of things and even one of the big things we talk about is um which is a pet peeve of mine and many other sex educators is the difference between a vagina and a vulva and we're not even labeling women's anatomy appropriately correct correct no and it's like how are <laughs> no. we facilitating any some form of conversations when we're not getting the basics right like like we teach the difference between the throat and and the neck but yet we kind of almost shroud it in this one word fits all that isn't even the correct word. So the sex education is far too basic. It is changing, but it's it's not changing fast enough or well enough, you know. And 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 I think we also it's very kind of male dominated as well. Maybe things like you know, more uh, wet dreams are are discussed, but um, erections might be discussed, but female pleasure isn't um or you know mm. that similarly as, as as women we can have the kind of the equivalent of wet dreams or and none of that's really openly discussed i think and and so we've got these young people coming through the ranks who aren't getting the support that they that they so deserve mm, mm. even with female pleasure that's just like i think it's just like a big x like oh we don't talk about that <laughs> We don't talk about yeah. it. So people just kind of grow up with this. This is what happens. Yeah. Like that part is not, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. And then as we know as well, where do kids learn their sex ed from? They turn to porn, which is super accessible. And, you know, as much as there's a space for porn in the world, it's not to be used as a form of sex education because it's it's giving un, uh unnecessary expectations but also can be causing harm to young people who don't know how to use it in a, an appropriate way mm. they do even i think even in tv shows and most movies mm. like the sex scene would be pretty much male focus <laughs> even mm. Mm. yeah yeah absolutely um and that that speaks volumes i think and how it, it how it it, it kind of reinforces they, they're thinking yeah yeah it's like this yeah. is what it is and we don't talk about the other stuff and it's too complex <laughs> so, yeah. 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 yeah yeah too complex this weird clitoris thing just <laughs> yeah it's like what do you call that and this <laughs> and after by the third part it's like I, I'm, I'm lost <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah so yeah a lot to be done on education would you think a lot of that would be more parents role to do um because I think we rely on yeah. we rely on schools, and I personally don't think it's great mm. what they're teaching people. But is that should that be more of the parents' role? Yeah, that's a good question, and I would suggest 
um anybody who's listening um there's a wonderful soul called sarah sprow who does such incredible work and workshops with parents um and i would definitely recommend it uh, because parents do have a role to play the problem i think with parents is uh, that a they may not have the sex education the appropriate sex education that b they're super nervous or like we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or c the shame is there they're dealing with their own shame so they're mm. kind of projecting it onto their children in which case your children are going to grow up uh, and hear these kind of biases perhaps um it could be a bit of fear-mongering if it's not um impartial <laughs> you know if it's this this, <laughs> this sense of i don't want you getting pregnant and so it's it's very focused on on kind of harm minimization almost rather than this nice mm. lovely opening of conversations um yeah but i'm sure sarah would would agree um as the expert in this field that um it all needs to start from an early age it needs to start from those conversations Mm. around consent in 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 like you know asking kids or not requiring kids to to do or act in certain ways with strangers or informing them about their bodies teaching them the right words for their genitals encouraging a space to be able to approach a parent and feel safe to do so um and 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 all of these are different aspects to a parent who feels brave enough and um, mm, yeah, to talk yeah. about these these difficult conversations with kids. Mm, yeah, even even the questions like a child might ask, like, "Where do babies come from?" and <laughs> you just <laughs> you just stress straight away, yeah. like, "I don't want to talk about yeah, that." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know, and, and that's where you also have to know what a like age appropriate, what what you can and can't yeah. say, and to the what age, what age kids can absorb certain information on anyway. Yeah, yeah, like I'll tell him two years or three years, <laughs> and that <laughs> yeah. could be too late. <laughs> yeah, the way the world's moving anyway. Absolutely. Yes, yes. My next question is, what are some of the, well, sorry, what are some of the causes of uh, vaginal pain? Okay, so um, vaginal pain can be a multitude of reasons. So we kind of got everything from bladder issues, so kidney issues like UTIs or um, uh, appendicitis, of course, that's an extreme one, um, but, uh, but one nonetheless. Um, ovarian cysts, endometriosis, um, and and then also things like um, nerve damage, nerve pain, um, and then we've also got which is is quite common, um, and something I see quite often is is tense pelvic floor muscles. So either that they're tense or that they spasm, and um, so. Uh, yeah, that, those are kind of some of the main things that might come up. Obviously, then an injury of some form as well. Mm. Often when, like anything, if we've experienced pain, we kind of want to avoid it. And the thought of that pain happening again might mean that we start tensing up. So, so mm. for example, mm. an easy way of describing it is, some of us hold tension in our jaw or in our shoulders 
and and likewise some people hold it in their pelvic floor and their um, pelvic region so what might happen is somebody who's holding their pelvic uh, attention in their pelvic floor have a, a tight have a tight vaginal opening or tight tight pelvic floor um it might spasm and, and so there's some anxiety perhaps there around um the possibility of penetration happening and then sometimes penetration there's an attempt and then it actually is painful so we've got a cycle happening. okay um and so it's it's um multitude of reasons and so one of the great things about pelvic floor um is that there are pelvic floor physios in this country who are absolutely wonderful and really supportive so um a gynecologist, a pelvic floor physio, and and not everybody needs a psychosexual therapist, but perhaps a psychosexual therapist as well, is a great way to just start getting on the road to, to treatment and support. Mm. It's not really something, I know, like with pain, it's not really something you can put off like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, pain. oh, I, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as much as we'd, we like to avoid it. Yeah. Well, it's sometimes yeah. it's it doesn't tend to be a pain that is consistently there. What often okay. happens is it's triggered. So with the use of a tampon or a, um, a pap smear, cervical smear or a penetration or intercourse, that's when it tends to, to be particularly painful. And, and there's, there's different types of that too. There's vaginismus, which is kind of like a spasming of the wall and the wall tends up of the vagina. And so often people do say it's literally like a wall. It's like nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to enter. Um, there's dyspareunia and there's different types of dyspareunia as well, which is, is kind of on, uh, about more pelvic pain itself rather than the inability to penetration. And then there's also a type called vulvodynia as well. So we've got like, pelvic pain um on on sorry vulva on the on the vulva which also there are many different parts and different types of that too so you know always get checked out in a holistic way Mm. most of these words i never heard of (laughs) i know and i'm using them purposely with no that's great it'd be depth about it but I also want people to know there are words for this because I cannot stress how often because we've heard of erectile dysfunction we've heard of premature ejaculation we've heard of delayed ejaculation mm. this ads on tv for it right yeah it's like, like they're everywhere it's like right watching but, a football but, day today and an ad came on I was like <laughs> really yeah and um, that's funny um, <laughs> and, and, and similar to like you said about the movies is how often have we seen movies where the, somebody loses their erection or you know they they came too quickly or whatever how have we ever seen a movie where a woman i can i can name one tv show uh where they have been unable to penetrate sex because they're there's is, tightness of their pelvic floor is no. that house of dragons no it's not house of dragons <laughs> no. it's both unorthodox and it's a tv show on netflix about okay. um, uh, uh, Orthodox Jewish community in New York. So it's quite interesting, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a, a lot of words I've never heard of. Yeah, like that, like my Isn't education it? when it comes to this has been n- not great. <laughs> so that's but why. this is the thing. That's, that's, that's all part and parcel, James. It's not on you, you know, that's a societal thing. Mm, mm. And when you're talking about the pain, the pelvic floor, 
I'm guessing mm-hmm. that's just the case of, well, one trying to find the right physio. It's more to worry yeah. about trying to find the right physio and yeah. doing your own exercise type of thing to kind of help yeah. Yeah. get rid of that pain. Yeah, so you would go to a physio. Sometimes we would cross-refer. So often I may say to somebody, if here's a, you know, a, a client, go to a physio. There's great physios here. Here's one particularly in your area or somebody that I know. And similarly, physios will, will cross-reference back to us if somebody needs something more psychological. Um, and the pelvic floor physios, what they do is they do an assessment. So as therapists, we wouldn't be doing assessments. So they do an assessment and they get a really thorough understanding of what's happening for the person. Um, and then we do a little thing called um, the clients is a thing or um, and sometimes with the physio is uh, dilating which is apparatus which i've got back there but i won't bring out and disturb the whole thing (laughs) our whole session but it's it's basically exercising those muscles um in learning how to relax them um and yet again there's a lot of misinformation around kegel exercises um that that normally and maybe that's another word james that you're not too too sure (laughs) of but but, um So sometimes there's misinformation around what we should be doing. And so what I would be saying to somebody is don't make it up. Don't think, don't go Googling stuff, go and have yourself checked out and get somebody who's actually a professional. Um, and then I would work a lot with cognitive behavioral therapy um, the uh, breath work, grounding techniques, understanding anxiety and, and maybe the bigger picture of what might be happening for the person too. Mm. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'll move on to my next question. What is the sexual process for a woman that would lead to satisfying sexual experience, Mm. whether it's by herself or with a partner? Yeah. So I would be suggesting that if anyone who... I There's this kind of... Okay, let's split that into two, maybe. So maybe let's talk about um, individual... Mm individual sexual experiences so masturbation firstly explore yourself and your vulva because unlike cis men you know it's kind of <laughs> we're kind of covered up right and um, yeah. so it's it's really important on a very physiological level to actually explore what your vulva looks like and that's super important in case there are any changes and just in terms of being mindful that there isn't something sinister happening so go get a little pocket mirror and explore what it looks like every single one of the vulvas in this whole world is different no two are alike you know we're all unique and they're all Know, wonderful so there's a lot of shame and we know this from porn then again of these these perfect little vulvas that we see and <laughs> um, they're all unique they're all different and um, so explore what that looks like explore what your clitoris looks like explore touch um and and that doesn't have to be isolated to the vulva as well. Get in the shower, notice how the water feels on your skin, notice what it's like to be around the steam, notice what it's like when you're, you know, you're, you're touching yourself in the, the shower just with your own shower gel. Um, the same when you get out of a towel, you know, put it around you. What's a different touch that you like, the different pressures, the different textures, etc. So yet again, kind of bringing this into a lifestyle rather than it being this one specific thing that I need to be doing, which is yeah, is, is kind of very... Nice. Every couple of months. 
<laughs> exactly. Um, so, but, but getting getting in and exploring and being curious about yourself. Um, and a big thing that's been, I think, for, for women is, is around the vagina. And this kind of expectation that we're supposed to climax through vaginal orgasms. That's about 8% of the population. The clitoris is the main. It's very low. <laughs> yeah. So 8% can orgasm through the va- vagina in itself. Um, so we might have heard around the G-spot and I'm supposed to be orgasming through the G-spot. Well, actually, we've discovered that the G-spot is basically the back of the clitoris. Um, so uh, the clitoris is, is a whole world that still needs to be explored. <laughs> it's a whole different, yeah. Okay. So, so that's focus on the clitoris externally. Get yourself a little toy. Shauna from Sexshopper is fantastic. www.sexshopper.ie. <laughs> Shout out, Shauna. Um, and she will actually genuinely help you with picking out a toy and what you need. So get a little bullet, a little vibrator. That's sometimes a really helpful, nice way of just enjoying a sexual experience with yourself. In terms of with a partner, I think what's absolutely crucial to remember is that communication is vital. So communicate, I mm. always say communication, curiosity, kind of um, consideration or compassion are, are super, super important in, in having a good sexual experience. And often when I say that and I say like three and sometimes four C's, depending on how many C's I give, somebody always goes consent. I just want to stress that consent is not one of the C's because if there is no consent, it's sexual assault. Like it's it consent is 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 should be a factual part of a sexual experience. Um, so with the, the C's that I have, um, I think it's super important that you kind of communicate with each other, but that means that you must have learned about what feels good for mm. you and be brave to open up and explain that and talk about that to a partner. And hopefully your partner would do the same. Mm. Mm. So many I can pick from that. <laughs> I know, sorry. Um, <laughs> so much more I could say, but I, I know we, we don't have all day. Uh, just in, in terms of, mm-hmm. okay, with the partner, if you don't know what you like, so don't expect them to know what you like. <laughs> yeah, it's like, if you can't, okay, I don't eat mushrooms. But if I don't tell somebody I don't eat mushrooms and they make me mushroom soup, that's on me, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, I didn't know. Yeah, so I'm say, oh, you know, I don't like mushroom soup, but um, just X- <laughs> FYI for next time. Um, but, you know, like yeah. I'm being a little bit facetious here, but like we've got to communicate that. We've got to be able to talk about like mm. how how we like our cup of tea with with milk sugar and and strong or weak or all the gradients in between if we're asking (laughs) for that why would we expect a good sexual pleasurable experience if we don't talk about what we actually enjoy and part of that is you know learning knowing what you yourself Mm -hmm. yeah and then if you have a lot of shame around the whole sex it could be difficult for some people yeah absolutely Absolutely, absolutely. But I think the problem is people expect mind reading too much. They're supposed yeah. to just know. They're supposed <laughs> it's like, to know what I like. Yeah, it's like, oh, you don't know? And then the other person starts feeling bad because they don't really know. 
And it's like, yeah. well, you're not telling me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A catch-22 yeah. situation. And I think what you did say about the shame is super important. And I don't, you know, ignore that at all. But that's why I'm saying start in the shower. Start really simple. Keep it easy and com- self-compassionate. Just notice what the shower is like. And that's a really good basis. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Shame is a big one when it comes to mm-hmm. sexual experience. <laughs> Definitely. And my... Last question is, how can I be more supportive of my partner's experience if my partner is experiencing issues Mm. around sexual desire and I don't want to use the word dysfunction? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If they're struggling. If they're struggling, yeah. Yeah, so how can I be more supportive? I would say the best thing is listening. And I mean really listening. Right, that kind of active, active listening, active listening, where you're going into it rather than pottering around the kitchen at the same time, or um, you know, picking up your phone as we tend to do, or the TV on in the background. Just sitting with mm. them, putting devices aside, putting alcohol or substances or drugs, you know, put that all to aside as well. So do it when you're very much present with each other, um, and listen and ask be curious about how that makes them feel. What, what's that like for you? That sounds, that sounds difficult. How do you experience that? How does that make you feel? And then hopefully what you can do is you can gain a better, better understanding of that experience for them. And then Mm. say, okay, well, how can I help? What would be most useful for you? As I sit here with you, what would be most useful for you um, in the future Uh, how do we engage with initiating sex do you want me to do it you know would it be helpful if I used a certain word as uh, if I or if I didn't would it be happy would it be helpful if I used like a gradient between zero and ten how much in the mood are you and okay you're 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 at a zero that's okay how do you feel about holding hands so you know just making sure that you're creating an open kind compassionate environment and then affirming that it's great that if they do seek help that you're there for them and that you listen to them and that there's there's space that it's a together together thing because that's the big thing that us as relationship therapists talk about is the importance of taking blame out of the equation and when it comes mm. to sexual issue it's an us issue if it's on one person then normally the therapy doesn't go so well um mm. kind of, there, there's there's a lack of of um a lack of it, it's hard to understand if you're only talking Completely. to one person because yeah. the other person the other person not is not there to mm-hmm. have an input yeah it's like have, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and often then somebody comes in and goes it's me i have to fix it no it tends to be dynamic it always mm. tends to be dynamic and the healing process needs to be dynamic be yeah, this sounds more of a we need to talk conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we need to talk. You're like, oh no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And just on that listening, because I know men struggle with listening. <laughs> we do try. <laughs> also. On it. Like, first of all, the conversation is not easy. No. So just to kind of more understand, 
if you're having this conversation with your partner, that it's harder for her to be having this conversation with you anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even though you may not understand most of it, but it's just about being there and being supportive. Mm-hmm. Mm. Absolutely. And I think, I think many people, including men, <laughs> um, have a habit of fixing, wanting them fix yes. it and make it better. Okay, what do I, how do I solve this for mm. you? Mm. Um, and it's, I would be always suggesting people to say, what do you need? What is helpful rather than, you know, like, if do you want me, sometimes it's, it has to be as practical as what do you want me to do right now? Do you, is this a fix it situation? Is <laughs> yeah. this a listen situation? Is this a hug situation? <laughs> like, you know, and, and make it that explicit, make it that clear. Mm, yeah. I think for men, it's like, like that when you hear is like your mind thinking, okay, how can we fix this now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like better. straight jumping straight to like, oh, we have to fix this. Yeah, yeah. Instead of just yeah, sitting there and just li- actually listening. Yeah. Not thinking of like what's going on. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes mm. that unfortunately kind of reinforces the shame. Then if we try yes. things of going, you're broken. I need to fix you. There's something wrong with you. Yeah. You need to, you know, you need mm. to be fixed. And and we really want to move away from that and go, you know, hold on, what's what's happening? Just what's happening is enough sometimes. Mm. How do I help with that? And look at it in the in the approach that it's it's our issue, if you like. Yeah. It's not an issue that one person's having. It's not a you issue, it's an our issue. Yeah. Lovely, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> That's all my questions. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's all my questions in relation to women's sexual health. I have two more questions for you. Mm-hmm. That's not related to this. So my first one is, mm-hmm. if you were to go to therapy, what would your ideal therapist be like? Um, if I went to therapy, what would my ideal therapist well, my therapist is my ideal therapist. She's wonderful. Okay. I love her. Okay. <laughs> and, and I like her a lot because uh, my personal experience with her is that she gives me a lot of space to talk because I, I process by talking. Um, and she's also um, challenging of me. And I do really like that in a way that's empathic and caring. Mm. So to me, my therapist, who I'm very lucky to have, uh, and, and she's also a cheer, my cheerleader, which I love. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's. And did you find her straight away, or did you try a few? No, I. I mean, I had a few therapists over the years, um, since teenage years, um, and never clicked with any of them. They were fine, but she, you mm. know, I, I, you just, I yeah. just. I hate to say this, but I just knew by her picture. <laughs> I just read her picture <laughs> and I was like, I saw her picture and I was like, yeah. she's the one. Yeah. Some people you just go into a room, you're like, yeah, I feel easier. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Sweet. And my last question is, uh, what do you like to do for fun? Oh, do you know, and it's a pity <laughs> I don't have it in here because I, um, my way of doing mindfulness is painting. I love painting and I am terrible at it. And I know people would be maybe saying, well, you know, uh, art is subjective or, you know, you're not 
It is. Probably. It is. <laughs> and I'm probably not a very good therapist right now by saying using like I am terrible at it. It's not yeah, the most poor choice of words. Yeah. <laughs> looking. But I actually embrace the fact that I'm not that good. And what is great about it is I paint and then it's it's not it's not very good. It's in my head, it doesn't come out on the paper or on the canvas. And then I just paint over it again. And then I paint over and I paint over and it's just one of my favorite things to do. It's just like and absolve mm. like, or absorb myself in these these yeah mm. 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 brilliant paint art is subjective some of the stuff people sell <laughs> what <is> that? <laughs> that's why i thought i could be an artist I could be yeah <laughs> look at this this is just like one one like slab or something across a yeah canvas, and it's like sold for this... thousands <laughs> like, I could do that. you paid that you pay how much for that i know i know funnily enough I have but yeah mm. yeah fantastic mm. if you have enjoyed this episode I would really appreciate it if you could leave a quick review on my Facebook page don't be afraid to talk or DM me on Instagram the show notes will include all the relevant links from today's episode if you haven't already, please download, leave a rating and share with your friends. You might just reach the person who needs to hear this message. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. I am James Lumumba signing off with gratitude.